Welcome to the Heartbeat for Hire podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Dowd. In my 25 years of sales experience, I've managed some of the most prestigious accounts in the world, negotiated multi-million dollar deals without sacrificing relationships, and built successful sales organizations where folks were knocking down the door to be a part of the rich, fun culture we created. My goal is to help train leaders and sales organizations how to manage and deliver results with empathy, compassion, and kindness. Each week, I'll share strategies you can take with you to invest in your people in a way that redefines the fabric of your sales organization and your company as a whole. I have an arsenal of tips and tricks up my sleeve and have a decorated sales career to leverage. Let's get started. Welcome to this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. I always say a podcast is only as good as its guests. And today we have one of the best. Heather Moyes is a four-time Olympian, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, motivational speaker, empowerment coach, humanitarian, the author of Redefining Realistic, and is one of Canada's great multi-sport athletes. A four-time Olympian in two-man bobsleigh, Heather won gold at 2010 Winter Games in Vancouver, and again, at the 2014 Games in Sochi. Heather led Canada to silver in the 2013 Rugby Sevens World Cup. That's our second sport. And she became only the second Canadian and first Canadian female to be inducted into the World Rugby Hall of Fame. She represented Canada in a third international sport in 2012 when she placed top five in two events at the Pan Am Track Cycling Championships in Argentina. She has a master's degree in occupational therapy and is a highly sought after motivational speaker. Her best-selling book, Redefining Realistic, was released in 2017. I mean, I had to abbreviate this bio. There was so much to share. Welcome, Heather. So happy you're here. Thank you for having me, Lizzie. This is awesome. Yeah, no problem. So before (laughs) you became an amazing Olympian and like, you know, super successful human, tell us a little bit about your your start and your upbringing and kind of what inspired this, this drive. First of all, I have to say that that bio was a bit long. It does sound like I <clears throat> just can't make up my mind or can't make it just hopping all over the place. Um, I don't really cook. So obviously the time I spent doing all of those other things was not spent learning how to cook. So that's, that's one thing. But um, anyway, how did all of this start? Uh, I grew up in Prince Edward Island, the smallest province in Canada off the East Coast. Um, I mean, it was it's accessible only by a flight, like by a plane or a 13 kilometer bridge, which was actually a 45 minute ferry ride when I was growing up. So somewhat isolated, right. From the rest of the country. And so I grew up in an academic family, uh, played sports all my life, but I always thought sport was just going to be extracurricular to what I was going to do to earn a living. And also when I grew up, there weren't people around me training to go to the Olympics or training to represent, you know, Olympians. Those were TV people, right? weren't everyday normal people like I considered myself to be. So it's not that I actively thought, oh, I could never do that. But it just never occurred to me as being an option because it wasn't in my direct environment. It wasn't like I wasn't directly exposed to someone who was doing that. So it just didn't occur to me as being a possibility. So it wasn't actually until I was 27 when I started lifting weights and training for the first time and actually taking sports seriously. And that's because I was suddenly faced with this challenge of seeing if I could learn a new sport, Mm -hmm. learn to do it well, learn to do it well in time to compete in the next Olympic games, which were less than five months later. 
So it was, this was bobsledding. So it, I was kind of faced with this crazy challenge. And to me, it was just a challenge that I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't pass it up. So that's what I did. I, I embraced this challenge just to see, you know, what would happen. And then things kind of snowballed and my life kind of took a bit of a 180 and, and a lot of things changed. Yeah. And so, okay. So bobsledding was first and that wasn't enough. So you had to well, rugby was first. I played rugby in high school, but yeah. I mean, and also university, I played soccer, rugby and did track and field at university, but it just, um, like I, it was just, again, like I wasn't training then I wasn't lifting weights. I was just, I was playing cause I loved it at the time with rugby. Um, I didn't even know that we had a national women's rugby team until someone notified me that I had been spotted and added to this long list and invited to this development camp. I know, I know. I was like, what? We have a women, national women's rugby team. Like it, it was an eye opener for me, but it also, all of those, like my story, I actually love in the sense that I'm able to shed perspective to other people showing that if you are doing something because you truly love it, mm-hmm. if you're passionate about it, if you are doing things without just the idea of, of achieving this kind of higher level of success, mm-hmm. um, then then your perspective along the whole way changes. So it's, it's been pretty remarkable, actually. I mean, there's so much to be said for mindset, right? And, and I I know that, you know, I, I was joking with you that you were an overachiever and you're like, no, that's not it at all. And explain what you were talking about, because no, and some people think I'm an adrenaline junkie or an overachiever and the overachievement it's, I don't, I think that comes with a mindset. Some people want to overachieve. They want to kind of reach all these higher levels. And to me, it was really never about the levels. It was really about the challenge. Yeah. And I realized it wasn't until then, I think I was kind of on that autopilot. I mean, yes, I was still at university, but that's because everyone in my family had gone to, like, I, I didn't really ever think that I wouldn't go to university or that there were other options. You just kind of, that was my environment. Um, and so I stayed in it and made choices within that within those, the lanes, within that boundary. Um, and then when all of a sudden I got this challenge of, of, you know, seeing if I could compete and represent my country in less than five months at the next Olympic games, that's when I realized that I'm fueled and motivated by challenges. And that is because when someone thinks when there's a possibility there, mm. but then all of a sudden people around you, the naysayers that kind of want to pull you down and think that it's impossible or think that it's unrealistic or all of these different terms we use. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of made me motivated to prove them wrong. But that being said, there is no guarantee for success. So when I talk to people about when they're setting their goals and these, these um, I guess, trying to pursue their goals, the different mindsets and strategies for that is changing this goal from being a binary outcome, either you succeed or you don't, mm-hmm. and changing that into more of a spectrum, setting your goal really high, and then just challenging yourself to see how close you can get, mm-hmm. because that disempowers all the naysayers, it disempowers the, the negative voices mm-hmm. we have in our heads, and just like, you know what, yeah, I might not make it, but I sure as hell want to see how close I can get, mm-hmm. so it becomes this more empowering statement that we can kind of repeat to ourselves every time we start doubting ourselves. I love that. Now, I don't want to uh, paint a false picture here. Let's not just think that Heather just decided, oh, I'm going to do bobsled and then I'm going to pivot to rugby. You had your fair share of of setbacks. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I had some pretty severe career threatening injuries Um, and not necessarily. Well, yeah, some of them were career threatening injuries within games or within matches, but also I had a couple of hip surgeries. Me too. Um, I had. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, that's a pretty serious recovery from that. And 
one of the hip surgeries I had was six months before I had to play in a game, a rugby game to prove that I would be okay enough to play in that 2013 rugby sevens world cup. Um, and exactly nine months after my surgery, I had to test and qualify for the national bobsled team for the 2014 mm. Olympic games in Sochi. And there were people who certainly were very excited to know I was coming back before they found out I needed hip surgery, mm. who then were uh, not in the pit, not really in the picture again until after I did my testing and after I proved, proved that I was still, you know, the, the fastest brakeman in the country. And then all of a sudden this excitement comes back again. And you kind of, you, you see people, you start, you start really seeing who people really are um, and their true colors when, oh, when, yeah. 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 So it was so, interesting, but there are a lot of challenges. Yeah. I, I think, you know, for anyone starting something new and I've certainly experienced this myself and I imagine you had a lot of it too. Um, you know, you look at the people that are like, are you really sure you want to do this? And you know, that, that just negative overtone of like, it's the doubters. How do you, how do you handle that? And sometimes an overtone, sometimes an undertone. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. It's sometimes not even a word it could be a, an eye roll or a, a shrug of the shoulders or like when you're talking about it they're like uh like the sigh the, the whole yeah. body roll you know yeah. where they're just like oh she's talking about this again or and like or the people who overtly are trying to discourage you even though it's coming from a place where they are they of love like they're yeah. hoping they don't want you to get hurt so they don't want you to do something that they think you're going to fail in right but that's not the attitude we want to have towards failure and no. so it is we need to kind of re-empower ourselves and reframe all of those statements and questions and and I just those we we do need to disempower those those naysayers including the voices that we've created, we've kind of developed in our heads that, yeah. that stop us from going, that moving forward. And once you can kind of get a handle on that and then you're kind of become unstoppable. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, you really got to push them to the side and not let them get under your skin. I know. So you have a fabulous quote and it's potential is just talent that you don't have yet. Talk about mm. that. Cause I, I love that quote. Yeah. I would love to say that that's my quote, but it's, it's, it's actually the exact words that a coach said to me. <laughs> so I've adopted that and I've passed that on to a lot of people. Um, when I was in high school, I came, I'm sure that I'm sure with in high school and university, I was probably one of the most frustrating athletes to my coaches. Some people now would be like, oh my gosh, you must've been a gift to those coaches and blah, blah, blah. blah. <laughs> and and I probably in one way was because they were excited about this naturally gifted app. And I can only say that now in hindsight, like actually I was naturally gifted at the time. I was just in it. I was just playing because I loved it, but I was also the epitome of wasting your talent because I didn't do anything with it. So I, um, I'll explain a little bit more about that in a second. Cause it comes down to self-esteem, self-image issues and all of that stuff too. But um, basically I walked into my, uh, coach's office after our athletic banquet and I had kind of this armful of trophies and he turns around at his desk and, and he said, Oh, and that like, there wasn't really much of a conversation there. And I thought he was going to congratulate me or say something. And he just kind of shook his head and he just said, Oh, Heather, he goes just super exasperated. You have so much potential. And I'm like, 
okay, he's being a bit weird, but like, okay, I'll take that as a compliment, right? Uh, you have so much potential, which is a compliment. Sure. And then I was about to leave and he said, but you just need to know that potential is just talent that you don't have yet. And I was like, um, uh, okay, he's being really weird because that actual, that, that phrase, it kind of buried itself in my brain and it didn't come back to me until I started bobsledding years later. And I'm, and I think that's where it was just like, if you don't give it a hundred percent, and I don't just mean a hundred percent of what you're asked to do, but a hundred percent of what you're capable of, mm. then you'll never actually know what you're, what you are truly capable of. And it's, it, that, that quote that he said, potential is just talent that you don't have. I see people with tons of potential. Everybody has potential and it's kind of what you choose to do with it. How, how much you choose to dig in, dig deep mm. um, and figure out really like when you start calling, when you start learning how to call out your own excuses, God, we are so good. We are so good at excuses, we, but we rationalize them. Of course, of course, they're not excuses. They're reasons. Right. So, so <laughs> once we can rationalize those, then, um, then of course they're not excuses anymore, but, um, yeah, of course not. So when we can start learning to recognize those and calling our own excuses out, um, then we can become pretty powerful in what Mm -hmm. we're able to accomplish. Yeah. So let's pivot to coaching because you've had some amazing coaches and you are a coach. So why, or maybe share some of the best um, lessons you learned from coaches. Obviously that one was huge. Um, but share some others. Yeah. And that was a pretty big one. Um, that again, I didn't really internalize it until later, but it yeah. had a huge impact for me. Um, I had another, <clears throat> so even though I'm coaching people more in terms of their life goals, their, their, you know, some of it's fitness, some of it's health, some of it's, but some of it's career, some of it's yeah. business, some of it's life balance a little bit. Um, I had a trainer, he's amazing. Uh, and he, wasn't with the team. He was a trainer in Toronto and he would get the programs that we would get. We would all be sent these programs. And he would say, this is your program. Have you ever, have they ever met you? Like have this, this doesn't look like a program for you, for your body, for your type, for your, you know, your nervous system for this doesn't look like a program that's designed for you. And this is the national team program. And I was like, yeah, guess so. So he would ask me why, what this exercise is, how it's going to benefit. And then some of it, he'd be like, you don't need this one. And then the next one, he'd be like, Oh, I know what they're trying to do here, but I've got a, I've got a different one that'll help you better or work on using your strengths and like developing your weaknesses. And he just realized, like made me realize more so than anything that you can't fit a square peg into a round hole. And he also taught me to look at the big picture instead when we get so caught up in the little things. So there was one summer right before the Vancouver Olympics in 2010. And it was the first summer in a while that I hadn't been injured. Mm -hmm. So I finally, and because I didn't start lifting weights until I was 27, of course, I'm doing these things and learning these things. And so this would have been the first summer that I could have actually done power cleans. So I was like, okay, great. Power cleans are one of the top, uh, basically one of the top lifts that people do like the, the, one of the most important lifts that bobsledders do. And, and so I said, great, we can do, we're going to, I'm going to do power cleans and yada, yada. So I'll be all ready for testing. And he's like, I'm not going to teach you power cleans. I said, what, what do you mean? You're not going to teach me power cleans. Like I need, I need to, those. I need to, know, yeah. I need to know how to do power cleans. He said, no, you don't. I said, 
the, it's in the testing. Like I here, I'm like panicking going, Oh my gosh, this is the, the wrong guy. What do you mean? Like what, like, what do you mean you're going to, he said, Heather, when you come to me and tell me that you want to go to the Olympics for powerlifting, then I'll teach you how to do power cleans. But until then I'm going to help you just become a good bobsledder. And I was like, but, and he said, Heather, if you do not do power cleans, but you go and you do the push testing and you still beat everyone in push testing and you're the fastest, they're not going to not take you because you don't know how to do power clean. So he said they would be like, they'd have no, they, if you are the yeah. fastest at what you, the, what the actual job is, they're not going to not take you because you don't know how to do one lift. And so I was like, oh, okay. So, That's good so logic. All right. So I mean, I didn't do the, I, I followed his lead and he was, he was brilliant. So he kind of made me look at big picture instead of being caught up in little things. And also it reminded me of my training as an occupational therapist, because still, even with that, and what I use with my clients, a lot of the times is sometimes it's not the actual outcome that we want. Mm -hmm. It's something with the feeling or some kind of something else that's within buried in there that you can get doing something totally different, or you can achieve the same outcome, but taking a completely different route or path to get there. It doesn't have to look like what everyone else's looks like. So he really... That's yeah. a good story, yeah. Heather. And, and I, I have a management methodology that I use. It's so similar. And what I, what I tell managers you have to do as a leader, you have to say, how can I be the best manager for you? Mm-hmm. And everybody has different needs. It's based on age, tenure, experience, career goals. And if you're not taking the time to understand what your people need, how could you possibly you know, you you can't manage them all the same. You can't parent all the same. People are different. They have different needs. And I love that he recognized that the workout was not prescriptive to what you needed. And, you know, it's nice to have a general guideline as all companies do, but when you are trying to get the best out of people, you have to make it personal. And I, I love that. So Lindsay, it's the same thing as when if you are, we are going back to kind of a sports environment, you know, how we see all, all the time or experience all the time, these coaches or captains who are, have the team huddle right before going out and they're like pumping up the team and yeah. like psyching everyone up. And some people are saying, this is it. This is the, the game that matters. Right. This is the only, this is it. It comes down to this. It's all like yeah. do or die, like blah, 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 blah. Well, for some people that is essential for them to get their like their adrenaline, yeah. adrenaline or arousal levels up to their peak performance level. And for other people, they do not need that pep talk to get their adrenaline going that high. So all of a sudden that pep talk is pushing them past and they're now going down on the bell curve and their performance is now going down. They're all of a sudden could be the best players on the team. And yet they're making mistakes doing things that they've never done before, or, yeah. you know, it's because they're all of a sudden. Yeah. So it's kind of passing. So p- for people who are on those kinds of teams, it's almost like helping them figure out what is, what can they do to then within minutes, bring themselves back down to being back on that line so that they're directly under their peak level of performance. And it's really, it's a really cool experience working with people. And that's whether they're going into a job interview, whether they're going into um, a presentation where their entire career could be resting on this. All of these things are it's all about energy management, mental for like mental management, figuring out, putting things in perspective, pulling mm-hmm. things back. It's the same thing as downplaying the importance of the Olympic games and what that means to other people just in order to manage, be able to get through to say, it. This is just yeah. another race. This is just another race. And it just happens to be on this particular track, like downplaying it so that I can actually execute 
what I'm physically able to execute. Well, because the pressure would swallow you, like if you let it. So you you have to be able to compartmentalize and and mm-hmm. kind of you know just be be present, be grounded. And okay, so you obviously had an amazing example in that coach, and you're a coach. So could you share some of your success stories and maybe how you've implemented some of these things? Yeah, well, a lot of it. I mean, I'm not, I. I can share generalizations, obviously, yeah, but not it depends person. for some people, for some people, a lot of what I do is, um, helping people break down their start. So for a lot of people, they don't even know where to start. They don't know how to start. They don't know. Sometimes they don't even think they can start. Sometimes it's figuring out those questions that can challenge their limiting beliefs. Every time it kind of stops them, uh, in, in their ways. So, I mean, it's been great. Some, some of my clients have had fitness, you know, fitness, challenges or health, you know, health challenges and fitness goals that they've had. Um, for some, it's been kind of breaking free in, um, from that autopilot working nine to five job to have an art studio in their house and breaking down some of the comments that they internalized from maybe a parental figure when they were little, mm-hmm. making them believe that they could never be successful in this area. So kind of unpacking a lot of that stuff. Um, but a lot of it is just challenging those assumptions and challenging those self-limiting beliefs and, and putting them in a position where um, that allows them not to be fearful of the trying part. Cause it's actually not failure that we fear. We all talk about, Oh, fear of failure. Well, it actually, it's not failure that we fear at all. It is what we assume failure will bring. Yeah. We have, fe- we really fear judgment, isolation, ridicule. Sure. We, we fear being segregated from other people. Like we fear being lonely that's and true. being kind of outcasted. And that's what we fear. It's not actually failure. If we celebrated failure, nobody would fear it, right? We'd embrace it. Okay. So it's kind of trying to reframe what that looks like and how rejection is really only whatever we internalize. Otherwise it's really has no bearing on anything. So mm-hmm. a lot of what I do with my clients is reframing things and challenging some of those beliefs that are blocking them and then really helping them break down the entire process to get to their goal, placing them on timelines and breaking down all the steps and strategies so that they can actually see the path that gets there. And, and a lot of people have trouble. They, they see these insurmountable goals that they have and they've made them insurmountable in their minds because they're so important to them. Mm-hmm. But when you take it from a third party and you can break those goals down, they're just like, wait a second, that's it's literally a checklist. Once you break it down far enough, it's a checklist. And once you start checking off those boxes, it becomes very empowering for them. Yeah, and then you they can, can feel the progress. progress. Yeah. You can see Amazing. it. You can feel it. Yeah. That's great. So um, I think you gave a really good transition to your book. So can we talk oh. a little bit about redefining realistic? Yes. And what I love actually from, because of that book, I've actually had people, I haven't directly coached but have sent me things that they have done or accomplished because of reading that book. And Mm. that is to me pretty rewarding because they've taken just what I've written on paper and they've internalized that and kind of empowered themselves with, with things that I've written in there. And that's been pretty cool. I've had people say, Oh my goodness, I thought I would be too old to do this. And I actually now did a triathlon and did a, went on this, I, I don't know. There's so many little, little tidbits that I've gotten that are really, really, really cool. But I, I just like the mentality of that. Like now, I think more than ever, we're at this inflection point in our just collective world culture where you can 
do anything. And, you know, if you, if you set your mind to it, what's to say it's unrealistic. I mean, look at the things that you've accomplished and you you weren't intending on becoming an Olympian. You went and got a master's and we'll talk about that in a second, but like, you know, you, you put your mindset in that direction and you went and did it. And I, I look at all of these um, millennials who are just, they figured out a niche, they focused on it and they made these incredible paths. I for themselves. And I chuckle because I work with a lot of people who have been doing their thing for 20 plus years and they feel they are at the top of the mountain. But here comes this 20 something who has millions of followers and who has just as much street cred. And that's pretty unnerving for someone who's been at it for a long time. But it's so important because yeah. the the balance has shifted. So I know it's it's the balance has shifted. And it is cool though, because this whole like my book, I called it redefining realistic. Because when someone says, you know, a lot of dreams are squashed, even when people are kids. Like, I don't know why adults feel the need to to tell someone when they're four that they'll never grow up to become a chickadee. Like, okay. Like that's really going to happen. Right. Like, why do we have to say, Oh, stop me. Like, yeah. Stop being being. So, unreali- so unrealistic. Like, are you really worried that they might try? Like, like wh- why do we have to just stop that instead? Yeah. It's an opportunity. And that, and that literally was my sister. She wanted to grow up to become a chickadee. My parents were not worried that that would really happen. No you know, and she's now an ER doctor and she's doing quite fine. So she did all right. okay. But what my parents did do anytime we, anytime that happened without realizing at the time, even what they were doing was they were teaching us either how to break down goals or they were teaching us about visualization in the moment. Mm. So something like that with a chickadee, my, all my parents would say was, Oh, wow, that would be interesting. What's the first thing you would do if you were a chickadee. So all of a sudden my sister's like, Oh, well, if I were a chickadee, I would, you know, and then there goes the imagination. There goes the visualization of in that moment. Well, and, and I mean, forget to really where yeah. she really wants. And if I said, oh my goodness, I want to be an astronaut. Oh my goodness. What do you think it would take for you to be an astronaut? And then I'm like, oh, I think I would have to learn this. I think I would have to learn this. You know, I'd have to be good at this probably, you know? And so as kids, it develops your ability to break things down to actually figure out the components that are needed to accomplish things. Uh, it teaches you visualization, like all these things that my parents well, I'll say they were unaware of it, but maybe, maybe they were very aware of it, but just the, the things that there was no need to say, like, I mean, I probably changed what I wanted to be when I grow up like five times a day. Right. So it's, there's not really any need to, to just, to squash that by saying, no. Oh, like only, only boys do that or only whatever do that. Or only like, I never had that. And so for me, it's not so much necessarily encouraging kids. And that's, that's a component too, in and of itself, but it's more important to not discourage kids. Kids are naturally gifted with creativity and with ambition. And I think if we could just stop discouraging them and squashing dreams or goals or visualize it like whatever with with someone's with our own definition of what realistic means because that's very subjective and so if someone is just kind of squashing that then the possibilities just kind of get squashed with it so I guess not everyone I've realized over the years you know when you grow up you're you're in your bubble you're in your family and you kind of think that everyone has like this. this yeah yeah 
everyone, everyone's is like that. So, you know, it's the same thing as, as when there may be some not great things happening in a family bubble, they think everyone's dealing with the same thing or whatever. So I really thought that everyone had supportive families. Like I thought everyone had parents who encouraged them. I thought everyone had like parents who would go and support them at their games or yeah. help them with a science project or, you know, do whatever. And it wasn't until I went to university that I realized that like mm -hmm. some of my teammates had never had a family, a family member go to any of their games or yeah. that they had to hide that they were playing sports because their mom wanted them to do, they, they were supposed to be doing something else. And I was dumbfounded. Yeah. And so then I realized that if I have achieved the things that I've achieved, because I've, I've, it's not that I've been afraid of failure or not afraid of failure. I just knew I had a safety net of people who loved and supported me yeah. regardless of whether I was successful at it or not. And so for me, it was important to be that person for people who don't necessarily have that available to them yeah. and to be able to show the possibilities, right? Like to, to be that support system and, and remind them like, okay, so what if you don't make it all the way to the end? What, what is the word? Like, what, what happens? I'm pretty sure that you still have the same amazing personality, the same front, the same friends who are around you, the same, like there are just different things that our own thought processes will stop us. Yeah. And I just really love that. I'm in a position now where I get to challenge some of those things. And then people can, I can provide those aha moments for people and they can be like, well, I don't, I don't know why I've been thinking that, or I don't know. I don't really know now why, now that you're putting it that way. If they've never had the support and the allowance to think that way, they don't know how. And, and I, I talk about manifestation a lot and I think visualization and manifestation go hand in hand and, you know, making mm -hmm. that list or creating that vision board of the possible of this is what I want to look like. This is what I want to feel like. This is the emotion that I want to be having when I accomplish this and, you know, getting really specific with that puts it out there and gives you a target. And I, yeah. I just think that's, it's um, for people that have never been allowed to think that way. It's so important. It's, it's so cool. I agree. Yeah, so I let's agree. talk a little bit about your master's and why you felt like you had to get it. And where was that in the time frame of your life with the Olympics? And was it before the Olympics or? Kind of. Um, so after my undergrad, uh, I did a bachelor of science with, uh, the honors in kinesiology. Um, and after I finished that, I went and I worked in, you know, in Nova Scotia for a little while and for about eight months. And I worked in a hotel, like nothing career degree related, loved it. Cause I was meeting new people. And then I decided I'd go to travel in Europe and, uh, just for a little bit. So I got a visa, like a worker's you know, young workers, holiday maker visa. I bought a Eurorail pass. And then on my flight over there, I met someone who had grown up kind of near where I had grown up and she lived in Ireland. And she said, well, why don't you come stay with me? You could rent one of our rooms. And my fiance, his siblings went there and I was like, great. So I went there. I did no traveling anywhere outside of Ireland. I stayed there. I got a job. <laughs> I found a rugby club, found a rugby club within three days. I was at a rugby practice. I had a job within two weeks and I just stayed there. Um, for about five or six months. And then I went home because I got an internship position uh, as a disability sports program officer to work in Zimbabwe. Mm. And I was like, great disability sports program officer. I've already worked with people with disabilities. I love that. It's in Africa. I've always wanted to do development work. Perfect. 
So I come home because there's an orientation and um, I find out that uh, that changed to go to Trinidad. So instead of Zimbabwe, they changed my placement to be in Trinidad, which wasn't a big deal. But before I left, I all of a sudden got this random phone call from a track coach um, at a different university. And he said, I knew him through competing against his athletes. And he said, Heather, I've been asked to do recruiting for Eastern Canada for bobsledding. And I was like, Bob, like who, who does bobsled? Like, well, who does that? And That's so okay. he, yeah. And he just said, um, as soon as I was asked to do that, you are the first person that came to mind. I think you'd be perfect. You have the ideal combination between strength and speed. And I just said, yeah, I don't know. I'm not interested. I'm, I'm good. Like I'm, I'm good. Thanks. And he just said, Heather, the, yeah, the Olympics are in less than a year. I know who's in the program. You'd be going to the Olympics for sure. And I said, I'm okay. Like I could tell by the way he said that, that going to the Olympics had always been his dream. It had never been my dream. Mm -hmm. So I didn't grow up watching sports on TV unless there was a random football playoff game. And then I'm my dad wanted to see. And so I would just vote for the uniform. I liked the best, you know, like you're just cheering for the, Oh, I like they're in purple. I'll go for that or whatever. Or they have a horse on their uniform. So we didn't watch sports on TV. I didn't grow up watching sports on TV. So it wasn't this thing. Like, I mean, I'd watched, yeah, I, I, I watched a couple of events in the Olympics, but not really. So anyway, I just said, no, I'm good. I, I, that had not been a dream of mine, but working in a developing country had always been a dream of mine. So I was following my dream, just not society's definition of success, like a, of elevated success. So I was good. I ended up working and living and working in Trinidad for almost three years. And then I moved back to Canada to do my master's degree in occupational therapy. And it's a two-year professional program. And one year into that program, I all of a sudden ran into that same recruiter at my former track coach's retirement party. So exactly four years after that phone call, and he said, Heather, I think you're like, I still think, I can't believe you didn't do it. I still think you could, I know you're older now. So it'd be a lot harder, but, and I was like, Oh God, here we go. So he said, I still think you should do it. And I just said, Oh God, Dennis, just, I'm not going to just send me the information. Like, I'll just, I'll look at the test. I'll do the testing camp maybe. So I went and did the testing camp thinking, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to do the testing camp, get him off my back finish my master's degree. I'll be fine. And I ended up breaking one of their testing records. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, what do you, whoa, what do you mean? I like these are tests that I had done before. Right. So fortunately I missed the first day of testing. The first day of testing, they said I could miss because I had rugby nationals. And so I was going to be tied up. And fortunately I did, cause that was all weightlifting and I'd never lifted weights before, but the second day was all like speed work and sprinting through timing lights, pulling a weighted sled, plyos, power stuff. Still, I'd never done any of those tests before, but at least I wasn't going to crush myself with a bar trying to pretend like I knew what I was doing. So yes, yeah, so that was different. Um, and I ended up breaking the record for the, the sled pull, like through the time timer lights. And I just was like, you mean to tell me I've broken a record amongst these people who've been training for years and who are supposed to be representing us at the next Olympics <laughs> in five months, like the Olympics were five months later. So I had to go back to Toronto and talk to my faculty advisor and ask him if he could help me somehow apply for a year, like a year leave of absence. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just step away? He goes, well, normally we don't do that, but you took some time away from rugby last year, just for a couple of weeks. 
And normally they don't even do that, but you did, you still academically did well. So maybe they'd approve it. I was like, oh gosh. So anyway, they approved it. I took the one year, just this year to do this challenge. And it was um, basically the, it was the same, it was the Olympic season. And I competed in my first Olympic games in Torino. And then a few months later after that, well, I guess at the end of the summer was also um, the, my first rugby world cup. 15 rugby world cup for the national rugby team so it was a pretty busy year yeah there wasn't you know when people say well what about your off season well when you're playing two sports for Canada it, there's not really an off season but um yeah it was a pretty pretty oh big God. year and it was just someone's like how did you did you you're not like five months it's so unrealistic or unlikely or un yeah well hi, highly unlikely so here's something I talk to people about highly unlikely still does not mean impossible right and so if you embrace a challenge and just say, yeah, you know what? You're right. I might not make it, but I just really want to see how close I can get. Then that is kind of re-empowers you. It gives you the power, takes the power away from, love it. from the naysayers. And yeah, that's, that's how it started. Oh my God. It's such a cool story. Yeah. So I want to pivot and talk about, you have a huge humanitarian presence and I know that's such a big part of your life. And you talked a little bit about your time in Trinidad, but you work with a number of organizations and you got a pretty massive award and recognition from Canada. I mean, it was the Randy Starkman Olympian humanitarian award, the Queens Jubilee medal and the order of PEI, the highest honor to be bestowed in any province in Canada. Those are amazing. So why is doing this kind of work so important to you and what does it do for your soul? Yeah, I, it, I mean, I think that's it. It, it is, it warms my soul. Like there's nobody who can do a random act of kindness for someone else and leave not feeling good about it. Like there's, there's, like that's an impact like I I challenge someone go do a random act of kindness and see if it doesn't make you feel good so I mean pardon it's impossible it it is impossible like if you're feeling awful or you're feeling really crappy or you're feeling like nothing's going right then go and pay for go through a drive-thru and pay for the person behind you and and then see how it lifts your day up like it's just it's impossible and so I just feel especially the more I've traveled around the world, the more I've lived around the world. Um, there's just, I mean, there's so much to be grateful for. So true. And, and it is very easy to slide into um, a, a place of complacency where this is, I'm just in this position because I just, because I am without actually realizing that it's, I am very fortunate to be surrounded by incredible people by having had a supportive family my whole life growing up Um by, you know, just, it's just, it's remarkable. And sometimes I just think that some people need a boost. Some people need a lift. And sometimes that lift is, is for me. And that means me helping other people. So I've been really, I've been really lucky. I, I mean, I helped build a house in Mexico over a weekend, like for a family who's never had a front door before. Um, I climbed the highest mountain in Antarctica to raise money and awareness for our Canadian war vets who are transferring, um, transitioning back to civilian life after it's over and to raise awareness for PTSD, yeah. PTSD, I know, um, which actually kind of opened the doors and opportunities for me to actually have a relationship with the Canadian military, which has been really remarkable, like has given mm-hmm. me opportunities that I, that I never thought I would have before. Love that. Um, yeah, there's, 
I think that when I was in Trinidad, <clears throat> I started a sports leadership development camp for kids who were deaf and hearing impaired from islands around the Caribbean. And you kind of leave it when you leave, you leave it there with a local committee and you hope that you've set it up and it's, you know, good to go. Um, and, and you leave and you just hope that you've left it solid. And I mean, I'm sure it's morphed and taken on a, a life of its own, but they just had their 20th year of doing that. Like I suddenly stumbled across Camp Abel on Facebook and I'm like, those people have no idea who started it and I don't need the recognition for it, mm-hmm. but I know, like, I'm just like, I, they're still doing this 20 so years later after That's I started amazing. this. I know, I know, I love, I love it. I mean, one, um, of so the, it's been remarkable. one of the questions I love to ask, um, and you've already kind of said it a few different ways, but what do you want your legacy to be? I mean, you've already left your mark in so many places, but if someone was going to look up Heather Moyes, what would you want them to see? I think I would want, like what I hope that I've instilled in other people, probably any way you interpret it. Yeah, would be if they think of me, it helps them break free from all of a sudden, it reminds them to start questioning their assumptions challenging their self-limiting beliefs and questioning their fears Mm. um, so that they don't sell themselves short. Mm. Basically not selling yourself short um, and also being in a place where you can look back in your life and really have no, have no regrets in terms of what you've, what you've pursued versus what you've stopped yourself from pursuing. Because really if the regrets don't come from failure, the regrets come from not trying or not pursuing and all with the wondering, like the, what if, like, what if I had tried, what if I had tried, that's where we get those, those solid, you know, pieces that are kind of pulling at our hearts and souls that have dragged us down. So that, that would be it. It would be like, think of me and be like, okay, I I need to challenge my excuses and not sell myself short. And that is, yeah. I love it. And, and I am like, so I'm so sad that we're limited on time because I could just keep going for like hours right talk for so long. <laughs> but how do people find more on, on you? Because I mean, you're Heather's a speaker, an author, humanitarian, all these things. Um, and you can read all about it at your website. So give them the link. Yeah, it's just heathermoist.com. It's pretty easy. If you can't remember how to spell my last name, you can just look up Heather Bobsled in Canada and it will it will direct you to me. Um, and that's the same, my Instagram handle and, and Facebook, all of it's under the same thing at Heather Moist. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Yeah, and you're so. a great follow on Insta. I've been following you for yeah. a while. So <laughs> I, uh, Thank you. I, I love your content. So you guys, Heather is a total joy. Check her out. And um, you've been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for being a guest on our podcast. Oh, I love it. We'll have to do it again. would love it. Thanks, everybody. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Stay tuned for more. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat for Hire. If you like what you hear, I'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave a five-star review. To keep the conversation going, you can find me on Insta or at LinkedIn at Lindsay Dowd, H4H. Or you can reach me at my website, heartbeatforhire.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.